Hey, welcome to Leadership Conversations. Uh, today, I am thrilled to welcome Ed Rowell, a, a leadership coach uh, here in Colorado Springs and a consultant. So welcome to Leadership Conversation Podcast. Well, thanks. Good afternoon. As we're getting started and we're just getting to know you, Ed, um, I'm just curious, just to get us started, would you tell us one interesting fun fact about you? My wife would say that my hobby is uh, collecting stuff for new hobbies. Very curious and easily bored. So I have started a number of things, but the, uh, my current passions are woodworking and fly fishing. Woodworking and fly fishing. Yeah. Well, we can definitely connect on those two fronts. So growing up, putting my hands to things and woodworking and just seeing what comes out of even some scrap to make perhaps right. the craftsmanships of that. And then just fly fishing, just especially here in Colorado is a bit yeah. epic and good for the soul, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Ed, tell us, how did you get interested in the things of leadership that perhaps even led you up to the consulting and the coaching that you did? Uh, you know, it is an interesting journey. And I think many years ago, I, it started uh, because I was a, a writer and one of the magazines I had written for frequently was called Leadership Journal. It was a magazine for people in nonprofit uh, leadership. And I end, long story of it, I ended up being on staff with that publication for a number of years. And out of that met a number of great leaders. Uh, it, it broadened my horizons about what leadership is. Mm. And I was fascinated with the, just the potential of how one person could have an ex exponential impact if they could learn how to lead other people and not drive other people, not boss other people, but truly, mm. you know, inspire people to, uh, to become more than they would be on their own. So mm. uh, out of that uh, came a friendship with a guy named John Maxwell, who writes extensively on leadership. Mm. And uh, out of that came some opportunities to, to do some consulting and coaching with organizations and leaders. And so uh, I was also then by that time, no longer at the magazine, but I still was involved in a, in a leadership role in, in various uh, nonprofit organizations. And the, um, so I had my own laboratory, you know, these theories are great. And I, you know, I'd read every book and I, by that time had enough experience to go, that's stupid. That'll never work. <laughs> or to say, you know, I've heard this before, maybe I should give it a try. So, uh, about uh, oh, five years ago, I uh, made a kind of a full-time move into leader development, organizational development, and started uh, doing it full-time. So I've been working with a company that works primarily in construction and engineering. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the work that we do, and I think it's not just in, our, in this particular industry, uh, but it's work around succession management because many privately owned businesses, mm. closely held organizations are owned by aging baby boomers. Yes. Just like me. Mm. And so for, uh, for, for people who have, uh, you know, the, one of the characteristics of the baby boomer generation was we're not going to be bound by the limits of previous generations and, you know, we're not going to go gracefully into the night. Um, and yet then you get 
at a certain point you get tired. You, you realize uh, maybe you don't have the fire in the belly you once had. Hmm. And by that time, it's often a little late in the game for transitioning your organization, if you're the owner of selling your organization, or if you're a senior leader, you know, you may have neglected the work of developing your successor and it doesn't happen overnight. So a lot of the work we do is very uh, urgent because there's been sort of a delay in getting it kicked off. So that's where I spend a lot of my time these days in that sort of broad arena of succession planning. I, I mean, what a tremendous need that's out there and to be able to have someone uh, just of your uh, breadth and depth of working with people in nonprofit and for-profit space. It's a tremendous service and, and niche of focusing on succession. It brings to mind a mentor of mine once said and wrote that uh, success is in succession. Leadership success is in succession. And the premise of that was really for me to be able to identify if I am a successful leader, will will only be measured by those that are coming up behind me. And if I have done not done my job preparing mm-hmm. for the next uh, generation, if you will, of right. those who will carry on the mantle beyond me, then perhaps I'm not as successful as I think I am. Right. And so that has, you know, that definition has really captured my thinking over the years of what is success. And then that word succession and preparing for that. As you have focused on this, I wonder um, what comes to mind is what, how do you, when do you start that conversation? When does that typically <laughs> awaken that, hmm, maybe yeah. <laughs> this is something I should start thinking about? Well, the most, uh, you know, it's kind of a similar question to when's the best time to plant a tree? You know, the best answer is 50 years ago. The next best answer is today. Mm. Uh, it takes time, and especially leaders who are, um, very entrepreneurial leaders that are high energy, very directive, often attract uh, or keep a certain type of person around them that is more geared toward just working out the details. Hmm. And so they look around and they don't often have someone who's maybe got kind of a visionary bent. They don't necessarily have someone who's good at strategic thinking um, because they have those people have left. Hmm. They have created an organization. Uh, Jim Collins had a great term. He said the most common leadership uh, or the, the most common organizational structure he sees is called the genius with a thousand helpers. Hmm. One person who does all the sort of driving, the thinking, the planning, the decision making, and then surrounded by people who execute on that. So that's not uncommon. So the, to answer the question more specifically, there's a bit of a, a process of discovery. So you may have people that have maybe aptitude or who can learn the skills of senior leadership, uh, but they've, they've only been required or asked to uh, function in a more, you know, to execute on the vision of someone else. So that's, that's part of the process of discoveries. Do these people just not have the aptitude or they have, they've never been given opportunity to exercise that aptitude. Mm. Okay. So this is that first process of identifying 
perhaps just, you know, maybe just even answer the question, is there potentially somebody that uh, I could see handing off the baton to? And then, you know, you know, and then w- what's next in terms of identifying, you know, based on aptitude and giving opportunity to those people. Right. Right. You know, I always say, you know, we think about uh, potential. They'll say it like a, an athlete, for example, oh, he's got great potential, but we all know of many athletes with potential that never really developed. Hmm. So the only way you can measure potential is by how people respond to opportunity. Hmm. So we will often encourage someone to say, well, I got these three guys that could potentially step into a more senior role. You want to say guys, I'm in a very male dominated industry. So three people, three high capacity individuals who could potentially step into it. And I wouldn't necessarily pick today. I'd start developing all three and see who kind of rises to the top. Um, It's often frustrating for people to look within and not find exactly what they're looking for fully firm, fully formed. And so sometimes people will say, gosh, I got to look outside. In our experience, a homegrown leader is always preferable, hmm. uh, especially at a more senior level. Now, if you've got the time frame, you can bring somebody in at kind of a mid uh, career level, say that you're a smaller business that aspires to grow, bringing someone in who's had a role in a bigger organization. Uh, the times that you want to bring in an outside leader would be when you're looking at a new product line, new market share, mm. those kind of things. Uh, but it's it's really often uh, not very effective to bring in someone at a real senior role from the outside because all the people that have been there for years are like, well, what's wrong with me? Mm. Why didn't you give me a chance? I've been faithful and loyal for years and this is how you treat me. So, you know, those are the dynamics of it. It's extremely relational and that's often an area where where a lot of leaders struggle Hmm. it takes me back to a few years ago i had the opportunity to facilitate a one-day format with a hundred ceos and this topic of succession came up and we had the opportunity for a show of hands uh how many of you uh in succession uh you know would go outside of your organization's define your replacement and 50% raise their hand, how many would go inside and 50%. So in a hundred CEOs, the perspective was just for whatever the context was, it was a 50, 50. And I appreciate just even the, the nuance of if you're looking at taking on new acquisitions or new products or something is significantly going to change that perhaps makes a case for looking outside. But if you're yeah. looking at wanting to continue, um, you know, building and strengthening the culture, you know, the products and, 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 you know, just uh, preserving yeah. that organization, certainly you want to look within. So. Well, uh, there's, a, there's a third option. Uh, hmm. And I, the name of the book escapes me, but it was a Harvard business uh, professor. And, and the book I think was called something like the inside out leader. Mm-hmm. And they, um, so here would be a scenario. So you had a real up and comer, someone who's, you know, kind of on the fast track. And then they, I, they left your organization to go somewhere else because of an opportunity. Uh, you know, he would encourage you to keep those doors open, keep those communication lines open because there may come a day where, you know, most of us have discovered the grass isn't necessarily ever always greener. Hmm. And you might bring that person back in who has gained a significant amount of experience, 
a significant uh, broader perspective, but also fits your organization. And so bringing an outsider in is particularly risky because the risk of uh, culture clash. But if you have someone that knows your company and has gone elsewhere and wants to come back, it's kind of the best of both. It's a both and solution. Hmm. Ed, what keeps people from a successful succession transition? <laughs> well, if you boil it down to two things, first of all, it's, it's uh, waiting too long because it does take time. Hmm. Particularly if you are, uh, like in most family-owned businesses, they're not particularly saleable because um, the, the engine that makes the business run is the current owner. And if that person is stepping aside, hmm. you know, if people could, could get a job elsewhere, maybe it's some worn out equipment, you know, an old assembly line, something like that. So uh, selling to the outside, you know, the idea that the, I think I call it kind of an escapist fantasy that one day someone's going to walk into this business and write me a big check and it's going to be off my hands. It's fun to fantasize about, but it's probably not reality. Hmm. So um, the two big ones are I've waited too long and the timeline is too short. Uh, the second is I want out, but I don't really want out. And what I mean by that is there's an incredible emotional tie when you have been at the helm of an organization for decades and there's all kinds of reasons why that is that we could go into, but there's just this sense of, um, I, uh, I, 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 I'm afraid to let go. Hmm. So here's the analogy I use. I think of at the circus, you know, you've got the, the people that are on the uh, trapeze. Uh, you never see anybody let go of a bar until there's another one swinging their way. Hmm. And so I think a lot of leaders will kind of hang on to that bar and they'll swing, they'll swing, they'll swing, they'll hmm. swing. And they can't let go because they have no idea what's next. Hmm. Our traditional models and mindsets around retirement are broken. They don't fit our current culture. Hmm. Uh, and so uh, I think a big part of the work I do now in, in coaching for this particular demographic is, is really helping people identify what I call a, uh, an encore career. What hmm. are you going to do next? And it is not likely to be recreation. Uh, it is not likely to be traveled. Those are all fine. And you should have a honeymoon period where you do all of that you want. But most, most people after six months, they go, you know, I just, I just, I sold my golf clubs. I don't even enjoy it anymore hmm. now that I can golf anytime I want to. Hmm. So, you know, what, identifying what made work so significant and how do you duplicate that in an environment where you don't necessarily have all the stress Mm. and the pressure that comes from leading an organization. So what does a, a healthy handoff look like? It's not one that's a complete exit and letting go, but yet it's not one that perhaps is overstaying, you know, their welcome, you know, after that yeah. transition. What are some models that you have seen that have worked well in a successful handoff? Well, that is so important. It's got to be a mutually agreed upon set of standards that when we reach these particular gates, then, you know, I'm passing the baton. I think of it like we're going on a trip. Uh, you ride shotgun and I'll drive and we'll go a ways that way. And at some point we'll kind of switch off. You drive a while, I'll drive a while. And, you know, if I have any comments, I'll bring them up. Um, but it's, 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 uh, 
the relationship is as important as the task. A lot of senior leaders that I've worked with are not particularly strong at delegation because the damn delegation means here, take this off my plate. I'm too busy. Hmm. And if, if you screw up, I'll come and let you know about it, but there's no direction. There's no ongoing hmm. checks, check-ins to see how's it going. Um, and so it needs to be a partnership and it needs to be a, some agreed upon I guess you'd call it definition of success. Okay. We'll know you're ready when A, B, C, and D. And when that comes, I would encourage a, not necessarily a, a, uh, a legal contract that may be relevant, but I'm thinking more of a, like a, um, a covenant between two people of saying, hmm. um, you know, I'm, I'm letting you know today that four to seven years from now, when you have, demonstrated and and things that we've agreed upon that you're ready i will pass the baton and i will make it easy on you i can think of several leaders where they didn't have that mm. and the the person stepping into leadership just is just goes crazy and they go this has been going on for 10 years i just can't do this anymore and then mm. then you're really in trouble because now you're really old <laughs> and mm. you're really tired and you're starting from scratch. Well, it's an interesting thing, you know, almost a bookend as far as expectations. And I'm thinking back to perhaps somebody that's on a performance period stepping into, you know, perhaps a larger position or high responsibility or high profile position. And let's say they have 90 days to sort of prove themselves before they get that, you know, uh, formal position, if you will, on the front end. And once they prove that's certain criteria, whether that's quota or performance reviews or KPIs. And it's almost like on the back end, what you're describing in succession planning, it's something similar. These are a series of things that we're committing to yeah. covenant or contract that if you meet this criteria, you know, going back to the opportunity to be able for somebody to rise to that occasion, yeah. uh, that it, it's, it allows for a trusted handoff because you're going to perform. You're going to take care of, uh, the organization because you showed me that you have uh, the leadership capabilities to do so. Yeah. Well, what often happens at that phase, and, and it feels like this should very much be about trust. I trust you to take over. And mm. it's, it's often kind of couched that way, but that's often not the real issue. Mm. So what is often really going on underneath the hood for the, for the senior most leader is, I don't know who I am apart from being president of XYZ. Mm. So it is your identity. It's your sense of purpose. It's your relevance. It's your social connections, mm. especially a lot of clients we work with business owners that are in, you know, big businesses and relatively small communities. You're not like a big fish in a little pond and everywhere you go is like, Oh, there's, you know, there's Ed Rowell. He's the owner of this and that. And, and then, um, you know, if you pass that off, then you're just another old guy. Mm. And there's like, I don't know, he's some old retired guy that hangs around the club here. He used to be a business owner or something. I don't know. So you lose that. You lose your social connections. There is a potential for a loss, and it's not, a, not even the financial loss, which is the one we often think of, but it's a loss of all the things I've just been talking about. Um, I don't know who I am anymore. And that's mm. a real existential crisis. and a lot of leaders that are wired for action aren't necessarily reflecting on that kind of stuff. Mm. So that's kind of a lot of what I have to do is kind of pull that up and say, who are you? Mm. 
Where do you derive your sense of value and worth and purpose? Uh, who else are you besides, you know, Mr. Big Shot that runs this company? Yeah, it's an interesting uh, paradigm that you're putting some pieces together here that perhaps just even, and you used the word earlier about fantasy. <laughs> the, yeah. The, the, whatever our imagination is that says, I'm going to exit into some form of retirement and I'm going to hopefully exit the business and that exiting a successful succession exiting triggers an existential identity crisis. <laughs> right. Right. It's important for the business. It's terrible for me personally. In, in a way that that it sounds so simple when you speak it out that way, but I would imagine many business owners are not thinking like that because no. They're tired or I've given myself to this for the last quarter of a century. And it's just, they're looking forward to, you know, golf clubs uh, or travel or whatever that is. But yet what you're saying is that within three to six months of that leisure time and just even having to perhaps just redefine, you know, who you are, that, that that's a, you know, uh, perhaps is what brings somebody back to put their hand back yeah. on and that's that's a real challenge so what are some of the things that you've done to help leaders navigate some of this um well you know a big part of it is just having that honest conversation and we it's it's an american trait that i am what i do mm. you know that's that's it's common for many of us first thing at a party what do you do what kind of work do you do and then i'll decide whether you are you know how do, how do I categorize you in my social structure of my mind based on mm -hmm. what you do? Uh, and everybody does that. Everybody knows that. So some of it is just uh, uh, bringing that to the front burner of awareness. Hmm. Um, I think another one is just uh, if you would, you know, any, any successful leader who has accumulated some, some wealth, you know, and that term is always fuzzy, right? Wealth is always more than I have. It's what some other guy has. Uh, it's your financial advisor will warn you against uh, having all your eggs in one basket. Hmm. And the same thing is true in time and energy. So for a, a high capacity leader who's been in a particular role for a long time, it's very likely that his or her emotional energy and in the time they spend is deeply uh, invested in just the work space. Mm. Whereas, you know, people that aren't in those kind of roles, they've got their work friends and they've got their recreation friends and they've got their neighbor friends and their church friends, or, you know, your, your kids play soccer together. You've got those friends. So I think, um, I, I usually do a little audit just like you do a financial audit to ask people how they're spending their time and energy. And so some of the questions I'd ask would be how many hours a week are you spending at your primary job hmm. um, and it's um, it's something most people have a vague sense of and if it if I get a vague answer I'll even ask them to do just a little uh, you know keep track for a, a week or so and you know specifically how did you spend your time but most people are shocked to find that even if they're not at the office they're on the phone they're on their computer they're reading about their competition they're going someplace not because they want to go that place but because business demands it so i'd say add all that stuff up mm. you probably don't have a you know it's probably more than you think second question would be how many activities outside of work do you have 
not that you theoretically enjoy, but did you spend at least four hours a week? Hmm. If someone is golfing, you know, faithfully every Tuesday, that would be an example. Someone that's volunteering at a shelter every Saturday, that would be an example. But a lot of people say, oh, I love to fish. Oh, yeah. When's the last time you've been fishing? Oh, I don't know. I guess it's like two years ago, January. <laughs> um, then that's, that's a different situation. It's an interesting concept that you're inviting us into in terms of this uh, this audit of your time in terms of where you send it. And part of that audit is perhaps recognizing uh, a sense of reality as your measured calendar. I, I yeah. once heard that, you know, show me your calendar and your checkbook and I'll tell you what your values are. And, exactly. yeah. <laughs> and so to perhaps even in context of succession planning, part of this process is beginning to make investments, diversifying your time. Exactly. Others than work leading yeah. to, and if I could use the example of golf to go from four hours every other week to 40 hours a week is not realistic. It's just, it's yeah. too much, uh, too much too soon <laughs> transition. Yeah. Well, you know, a couple other questions in this audit. I, I talk about relationships outside of your immediate family. How many meaningful relationships do you have with people who are not connected to your business? Mm. And this is usually a bit of a discouragement because they realize, well, there's this guy, but well, no, we actually, we built their, uh, we built their office for them a few years ago. Uh, or there, no, that was a guy I served on city council with. Um, and and it's, it's, I think, particularly an issue for men, maybe even more than women, hmm. uh, because the older we get, the harder it is to have meaningful relationships. But it's, um, you know, if you think about it, if all my meaningful relationships are connected to the business, if I walk away from this business, and this is all at the subconscious level. I'm walking away from everyone I know and love, hmm. except my immediate family. So and that's problematic too. Um, you know, it's very, there's an old saying about, uh, you know, um, when, when someone retires and the spouse gets, you know, twice the, sp twice the spouse for half the income, you know, it's not a good value proposition. Hmm. Uh, you know, one, I've heard a woman say, I married you for better or worse, but not for lunch. Um, <laughs> I was with a couple, a business owner, and he's, you know, big, large, in charge kind of guy. And I said, so what are you guys thinking about? What's next? And he jumps in, kind of cuts her off and says, well, we got it all planned out. We're going to, you know, we're going to travel, man. And we just love to travel. We're going to do here. We're going to go there. I said, oh, that sounds fun. And he said, oh yeah. And then we, we belong to the tennis club. So we, we love tennis. We're going to play, you know, we're going to be in leagues together. We're going to do this. And I'm looking across the table and Barb's just sitting there chewing her food, you know, eating a salad. And this kind of got a smirk on her face. So I wait for like a moment of to, to jump in because he's, he's off and running. And I said, so Barb, how about you? What do you, what do you think? And she goes, well, this is all really interesting because I don't recall we've ever had this conversation. Hmm. And he just kind of, you know, it, it was good natured, but very pointed. And she said, you know, you've been so busy the last five or six years that I've started traveling with, and she named three women. And she said, I, I just don't know how they'll feel about you tagging along. <laughs> and his face just drops. And, oh. and she said, as far as tennis, I'm actually getting kind of tired of tennis. I'm down to just 
you know, one doubles league that I'm playing in and, you know, I'm having trouble with my knees. I think my tennis days are over. And it, I just tell that story because we have these assumptions, mm. but we've not really had some significant conversation. Yeah, I like, I mean, this is an important, important uh point you're making in terms of the assumptions and it's defining reality based on you know some expectations we have we have some expectations for what retirement's going to be or yeah. or, or or expectations of what you know how i'm going to be spending my time or the people that i'm with and that may or may not be based in reality because we haven't uh you know even tried it out so maybe right. just practice you know practicing the uh, question <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> would you like to spend more time doing tennis or you do, you know, how, I, and, and yeah. it's very important. So having those honest conversations, uh, it is, is. I'll encourage people, you know, to take a low, low cost probe. It's not uncommon for people to, especially if you're in a cold weather state, you know, oh, man, we're moving to Phoenix. We're moving to wherever mm-hmm. I'll say, well, you know, before you sell your home back in, in uh, Duluth, uh, maybe spend a, a, a winter in, in, Tucson and see how it goes. Um, You know, uh, you don't have to do all of this after you retire. A lot of leaders are at a place where they've got more discretionary income and time. Um, Do some of that while you can. And I think we we often all presume that we're going to have the physical health to do whatever we want in retirement. And that's not always guaranteed. We all know stories of people that retired and three months later, there's a health crisis. Mm -hmm. So, hey, so I just you- appreciate this conversation because I, I, you know, think about succession and I'm thinking about it purely from a business, maybe just even a fiscal, you know, question and right. you know, organizational. And you've led us all the way down to this path of what is, what is, uh, what does life look like six months on the other side of exiting? Yeah. And that's a very different picture than perhaps what I had in mind. And so this, you know, it's, it's a really holistic model that you're inviting us into starting with even identifying first, maybe the time frame based on, you know, your energy level and just a reasonable, healthy transition to who, who is even yeah. in candidacy for, you know, taking the position. What do I need to do? Prepare over a year, three years, five years, whatever the time frame is. And then what does what do I need to begin doing today to prepare yeah. for a diversity of, you know, of interest and passions, just like the start of our conversation today. Immediately it's woodworking and fly fishing and I yeah. see your face bright up. And because this is something you really enjoy. And and um, you know, so just even that, you know, do you want to uh, want to have your best business uh change hands and potentially have a successful transition, then consider what are your hobbies gonna be and yeah. who you want to spend time with. So oh. I'll give you one story, and this was a, a guy who had been sort of, he had surprised himself with his success. Hmm. He would tell you he was a general contractor. Uh, he, he said, you know, I'm just basically a glorified carpenter, and I like the hands-on stuff, and because we did good work, we grew, and I ended up running this big business, and that was never my intent. And he passed, he had twin sons, he passed the business along to them. And it was, I'd say, a very reasonably healthy transition. They, you know, like all new leaders, they had their moments of 
um, you know, things that didn't go well, but that's, that's basically how we learned. But Tom struggled. And, um, you know, he was, he was wanted to be hands-on in the business, then he'd be gone for a long period of time. Then he'd jump back in, he'd be gone. He just couldn't find his place. And his daughter, I'm trying to disguise the identity a bit, so the story I'm going to trade very slightly, but his daughter was involved in a, uh, it was a shelter for women who needed to escape abusive relationships. And it was like basically um, kind of a fourplex apartment complex. And they would, they would have these apartments for moms and their kids to come be safe, get away from abusive relationship. And they were typically there three to six months till they kind of got on their feet and they moved on. So she volunteered her dad to go replace a hot water heater one day. And he went. And then he asked the person that was kind of running this, this uh, nonprofit, well, what else do you have for me to do? And there was like a list. And it was all hands-on stuff. It was all, you know, what we, I put in the category, just handyman stuff. And he found his niche because mm -hmm. I, in like two days a week, he would, um, he had a list. He'd head to Home Depot. He'd out of his own pocket. He would buy, today I'm going to paint that apartment that Liz just moved out of. And I'm going to fix the sink over in number four. And, and he'd come back with a full day's work ahead of him. And he was so fulfilled. Mm. I mean, that was it. It was not, he's not a guy that's going to be fulfilled playing golf or fishing or anything like that. He needed to do something meaningful. And I think that's just the kind of the last big thought is what really, you know, understanding your values enough to know what brings meaning to you. Mm. It might be mentoring, you know, disadvantaged kids. It could be something that you've always had a heart for, but never had the time for. And that's where I think people find true significance. We spend the, you know, you've heard it said, we spend the first half of our careers chasing success. And then at some point we get it and realize it's not what we thought it was. And our focus then shifts to significance. And that's a story of a guy who was unintentionally successful. And then he found great significance in, in the best. And he would say, these are the best years of my life. And I, I think that's a, a great thought just as we close. And that is a, a mantra and, and something to aspire to is just succession is found potentially or at least pointing us to an opportunity for where do we want to make a contribution for significance and mm -hmm. where, where do you find that is inviting us and challenging leaders to think about that. And that gives a purpose and a focus and maybe even an urgency yeah, do a purposeful succession. And uh, it's just a great thought and great uh, challenge for our leaders that's just thinking about planting a tree of succession starting today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, Ed, how can our listeners uh, get in touch with you if they want to learn more about what you do in regard to leadership, leadership succession planning? Well, uh, I have a website, intrepidleadersgroup.com. Uh, you can call me, 303-562-8895. Uh, uh, I'd love to discuss this with anybody. It's just something I'm very passionate about. Um, you know, the organizational stuff is important, and I've done a great deal of it. But more and more, I'm finding the biggest, you know, it's, it's my personal significance. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, helping another, it's helping another leader make that sort of that last big transition, mm -hmm. you know, I, when my, with my own kids, the 
front end transitions of what am I going to do when I grow up and where am I going to live and who am I going to marry? And then you have sort of often a long period of just sort of static status quo. But then at some point we all have to deal with those end of career decisions. Mm -hmm. None of us are going to work. Well, I shouldn't say that some people unintentionally die Mm -hmm. working, but many of us will have to figure out what comes next and be the more intentional we are about it, the more realistic we are about the potential roadblocks, uh, the better it goes. Hmm. Well, Ed, thank you so much for our time today and for our leadership listeners. If you're anywhere uh, looking towards uh, a successful exit of your business and you need someone to walk with you, I would encourage you to reach out to Ed. So Ed, thank you again for your time today. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. You bet. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. To get the show notes, resource links, and access to other leadership conversations, please visit www.theadvance.net backslash podcast. If you have leadership questions or topics you would like to hear discussed in future episodes, please email the team. The address is connect at leadersadvance.net. Whether you're between meetings, exercising, or enjoying a few quiet moments, I'm honored that you listen today. If today's conversation was valuable for you, I would appreciate your help in sharing the podcast with your friends, team members, and your social networks. In addition, your rating and review of the podcast will increase the ranking and reach for future listeners. Remember, better conversations are the gateway to greater influence. If you want to be a better leader, let it start today in your communication and connection with your people. Until next time. Thank you for joining the conversation.